the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by the Athletic. Sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time stories, powerful writing than the athletic visit the athletic.com slash spot track get yourself 40 percent off that first year subscription today that's the athletic.com slash spot track my name is mike Chinetti. happy wednesday thursday whenever you're listening to this big brainstorming show a little off the beaten path today which i love scott allen and i discuss some variables in the nba finances tax max contracts expansion restructuring the conferences and the divisions and all sorts of good things um, that could happen with that league. And then back end of that, on the precipice of Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy partnering up to expand the PGA Tour and a slew of PGA Tour changes that were released today, Scott and I discussed just what kind of impact Tiger can have here. you know, And, and we weren't even aware specifically of what he's just recently launched with McElroy at the time of this recording, but he was in discussions. He was making speeches. He was flying in. You knew he was going to be involved, whether it's an ambassador, whether it's more specific, like this idea allows to, but I think this is not a one and done situation. And Scott and I at the back end of the show discuss where this could be headed and who this sounds like in another sport. <laughs> so just spoiler there. Uh, real quick couple things on spotchart.com to promote. Keith Smith is back at it. We gave him a little bit of a hiatus. Well-deserved. He worked his butt off this offseason with Scott through that July 1st free agency and whatnot. With the Kevin Durant news kind of you know quieted for now, he's looking back and he's doing an offseason recap series um, starting with the Bulls and the Bucks and the Pacers and a couple of interesting teams that you know made small changes with their young rosters. I think the Pacers could be loud and a big factor here heading towards the regular season that we've talked about. There's a couple of trade pieces on that team that I really do think get moved, whether it's the Lakers or whether it's some other team that gets involved. But, um, edition one of the off season recap series from Keith Smith is now live on spotrack.com and just a little TBD. What's coming next. I'll be doing my tight end money tiers and it's going to be fun because we're all kind of in fantasy mode right now. And we know the, Kyle Pitts, T- Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, Mark Andrews kind of threshold. Maybe Dallas Goddard, Goddard is the tier two startup. Where does that sit from a money perspective? Whose contracts have at least a little bit of security in them over the next couple of years? We know Travis Kelsey got a bit of a restructure this year, pulled cash in from the next couple of years into this year. That's usually a sign that the end is near, by the way. That's not a, we're just doing this to do this. You know, Tyreek Hill's gone, 30 million a year in Miami. A lot of us think Travis Kelsey's going to have a monster year, but does Kansas City see at the light at the end of the tunnel with that contract and with him specifically? That's next for me. 2022 Money Tears, tight end edition. And then we'll really be ramping up the NFL preview stuff, right? Positional spending, 53-man projections as that nears over the next couple of days. Uh, you know, who to sit, who to start, all that fun stuff. Some Back to some win total stuff, back to some betting stuff. And of course... Uh, you know, final cap situations. I'll look ahead to 2023. Some notable free agents, extension candidates, bubble candidates. It's already, it's already time to do that. So this will be the last kind of off-season situation for us NFL-wise, and then we'll flip the gear right into in-season and into next season quickly. 
let's talk some brainstorming, specifically with the NBA, with Scott Allen. All right, Scott, get me off this NFL kick. Been uh, two straight weeks of talking nothing but NFL, and I'm not going to stop, of course, because got to pay the bills, and the regular season is right around the corner. We put a poll out last week for the newsletter um, that kind of highlighted snarkily four contracts, one perspective contract that may be big time regrettable in respective sports for respective teams over the coming years. The Tatis Jr. contract with the Padres, which is obviously at the forefront of our thoughts with his suspension. Obviously, the Deshaun Watson contract, which kind of handedly won this poll, as you might expect. Jack Eichel's deal with, in Buffalo slash Las Vegas, which is, well, let's just say he's got a lot of work to do in Vegas to get that thing where, where it belongs. And then whatever Kyrie Irving does next, because I think what we're learning most about this Kevin Durant situation, and you can jump in whenever, is that Kyrie not getting paid in Brooklyn is maybe 60% of what's wrong with Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets. Is, is that how you assess it as this, at this point as well? And do you think that'll be rectified? Or do you think Brooklyn's putting their foot down and saying, look, we, we, we don't even want one more year of this guy, but we have to deal with it because it's a player option. And then we'll deal with the business side of things next offseason when we all have more options. Hmm. I just don't believe uh, that I, I, Durant I is pissed off that James Harden is gone. I, I don't believe that, <laughs> you know, and if. Yeah, because he went there before. That's right. James Harden even came to that team. That's so right. I, I think it's a dynamic between coaching GM, the Kyrie situation. Yeah, what could it be? I, I, obviously, the Simmons stuff is a huge part of it. But right. But does he just don't you don't you think that that Kevin Durant would feel a hell of a lot better about Brooklyn if Kyrie Irving was attached at the hip for the next four seasons like he is? I, I guess uh, I just saw James Harden leave. You just threw him out the door when he asked and brought back a guy. I, I don't even know can play literally physically or yeah, mentally. I, I see where you're going. You know what I mean? The, like the, it's going to be him, him at an Island at some point here soon. <laughs> yeah. It's the long-term play. I, I, I committed to the, the long-term here, but now I have an, a, a Kyrie Irving who is on a one year expiring contract, a Ben Simmons who, was just elevated to three on three in practices. So we don't really know what his situation is. And I've got a, a rest of yeah. the roster flushed out here. So he probably feels a little uh, alienated to a certain extent, but it, like everyone else has said, he, he signed that extension knowing sort of what the roster makeup was and then brought on the James Harden situation. So I have a hard time believing that, it's just because James Harden got moved uh, because James Harden wasn't there from the get-go, but obviously his ego or something was ruffled enough that he still wants out. Yeah, I get it. I'm not going to throw too much salt on him. I, I, I get it. And, and it's within his right to say it out loud. Now, if he starts to hold out, you're going to hear a different tone from me, but I don't expect that to be the case. But Let's just transition into where we're going here with the rest of this episode, Scott, which is basically, I guess let's start. We've got a bunch of sports to get through. We've got some brainstorms and ideas that we talk about quite a bit over coffee each morning. And I thought it would be a good idea to have you bring some of your ideas to the table and then vice versa. And we just kind of talk this one out versus having like a, a formulaic plan with, you know, metrics and numbers like I do on so many of these shows. 
So let's stick with the NBA here. Do you think that the player empowerment situation, and I'll put Durant at the forefront of that conversation, has gone too far? Is it something that can or needs to be addressed in the upcoming CBA negotiations, which can start as early as December, by the way? Yeah, I I think it does. I, I think it is at that point or over the threshold of going too far from the player option standpoint, the trade bonus standpoint. I did some data over the last few weeks of compiling all the designated and maximum salaries that the NBA has done since 2011 or so. And, you know, it was interesting to see the groupings based off of who got player options or who Mm. only had trade bonuses. You know, these, these super max designated veteran extensions, you know, the Devin Booker's, the Carl Anthony Towns, those that signed two years early, Everybody had a player option in there except for the Booker deal. And they pretty much all had uh, trade bonuses outside of a few here. But teams are throwing out almost all possibilities to these players to give them the opportunity to either opt out early because they give them the player option. Or if we trade you, we're going to pay you more money because we'll throw in a trade bonus. So I do think that something is going to have to give going into this next iteration. Okay. I I just worry that you start touching this and and the the dynamic of the sport, which is it's now a 12-month situation. We're talking about this in the middle of August when we should be ramping up the NFL talk. I, I worry that you're going to lose some of that luster if you start ruffling these feathers with legalese to say, look, we, we like... We like having the conversations, but we want to make it harder for these guys to move around. I, I think I disagree with you on this one. I think there are other things we can tweak, and, and I'll get to some of those notes in a second. But you know, are we having this conversation every year? Truly, are we? I mean, Ben Simmons got ugly. And to some degree, Anthony Davis got ugly the year before that. So I guess we are having some iteration of this conversation every year right now. What happens if Durant's situation just remains as is? What if Brooklyn just simply says no? Well, won't that kind of police this situation slightly if a team finally pushes back? Isn't that all it takes? Do we have to have something built in that says, all right, we've got to, you know, sort of defund, I hate to use that word, <laughs> the, the player's ability to just control the league like they're doing right now? Can't teams just start to say no? They absolutely could. And to a certain extent, I think they have. But when push comes to shove for the amount of money that these players are now getting, teams are Mm -hmm. weighing their risk reward and they'd rather move on from the headache and the money than have those players hold out, sit out, you know, do whatever they're going to do. You know, they, they can get fined like the whole Ben Simmons situation last year. But it's only going to get amplified the more that these salaries increase, which we're seeing. You mentioned it last pod. We're we're getting up to the 60s and almost going to get into the $70 million per year. So what happens when a player is making $65, $70 million a year and they're upset uh, and, and then they hold out? But the team says, we already committed to this and those salaries are so high that we have no way of moving you because it's of salary matching purposes. How are you going to match $65 million? 
Yes, yes, the cap goes up and the minimums and everything else goes up to a certain extent based off of the percentage. But those salaries are so high that it's going to be hard to move them, at least looking forward right now. I mean, we said that well, three years can I ago jump in on that Chris again? Paul moved. Because to me, there's another element to that matching that is going to need to be addressed. Because one of the, one of the bullets I wanted to bring up with you here was the tax situation and how we're, it's starting to smell and look a hell of a lot like Major League Baseball did for 20 years, which is there's this 2 to 3% of the teams at the top that are just going all in every year because they either have a guy or they're, they're really comfortable or they simply just don't care and they're throwing cash into the system. And then 10 or 12 teams kind of annually that are just kind of going through the motions. If, if they have a great season, it's kind of you know haphazardly. And they're reaping the financial benefits of the trickle down from all those tax bills that get paid right about now. And it sounds like this year, those tax bills are going to be about $17 million per team, by the way. So the worst team in the league is going to get that kind of payment because of how high the Warriors went and how high you know, Boston and those teams went this year. So I, that, that gap that's being created in the tax situation, you're going to have teams that simply can't, will never be able to match a $65 million salary. Do you understand what I'm saying? If Oklahoma City never gets a player, a, a, a max player, and they can't create their own, certainly won't be able to create a super max player because they're not going to have an all-MEA guy for the next 10 years. How are they going to ever have even a chance to acquire a Kevin Durant? You understand what I'm saying? All you're going to yeah, have is you're going to have contenders dealing with contenders, which is extremely exciting. That's why you know, I started the conversation the way I did. I'm not sure I want it to go away, Scott, because it's great for business, but it, it seems increasingly more unfair that the Lakers are going to be dealing with the Nets and the Knicks are going to be dealing with the Clippers and and we go from there. You, you understand where I'm going with this? I do. And that's why I brought up the whole fact that the, these teams, the give and take versus the player that has that $65 million versus how are we going to move them? Do we hold out? Yes, you can hold out, but the team is going to say, we have no way to move you because there's, there aren't enough salaries on a team mm -hmm. to really move and, and match to come back because you do have some teams for, you know, hypothetical purposes, you get the San Antonio Spurs, the Indiana Pacers right now, they're, they're looking at $95 million in, in a cap or, you know, that's two players. You're not going to move your entire roster for you right. know, or, one player. As I mentioned in the last show too, you're going to have seventh and eighth guys on the roster making 25 million. And yes, two of those players would equal one max contract, but those players are untradeable. They're not even getting on the court, you know? Correct. So, so while Correct. they'll be financially matchable, they're not basketball matchable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So something is going to give. That's why I say with the, the the player empowerment conversation that we're having here, something I think is going to have to give. And, you know, is, is the salary cap, if it keeps on going up, I mean, it, does it ever plateau? Or are we talking in 20 years, the salary cap just continues to go up and, and it's astronomical. The salaries would be astronomical. I do believe that is going to happen. I do. And that's why I'm talking and, about these seventh and eighth players so much because so, there is a floor, so, there is a spending limit, which is all good stuff. But 
everybody's going to come north with this. Will will there be owners who simply say, I got to get the hell out of here because it's going to get out of control, right? Right. And, and not to side tangent too far here, but maybe that is why the NHL doesn't choose to <laughs> grow their cap as much as they do because of the fear of seeing what some of these other leagues have. You know, if if the NBA cap goes up, you know, 5% every year, that's going to take you up into, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about $80 million salaries because you're going to pay a guy 35% of a cap. You know, it, it, is it even sustainable from a league financial standpoint? Uh, or are they going to have to go to a different NBA structure yeah. in, a, in a CBA where maxes can't exist because the the rule stipulation of 25, 30, 35%, it's just not sustainable if they expect salaries to continue in the cap to go up. So let's talk about that for a little bit because it's it's so unique. The NHL does have that. They do have a percentage of the cap for a max on a given year. And oh, by the way, the reason the cap doesn't go up there is because they have absolutely no TV contract. (laughs) So um, the the NBA TV contract is what we're talking about here. and, And it's already been built in for the next basically eight, eight years. And I'll get to another tangent off that in a second, but you're, you're talking about these percentages for max contracts, the 25, the 30, the 35, and you're right. Those are only going to slide as the cap slides. And we see no sign of that slowing down anytime soon. No other team, no other major sport in America does this. You know, the NFL doesn't do this. They let quarterbacks be rogue right now. And that's why we have, an over $50 million quarterback in Aaron Rodgers versus, you know, Justin Herbert, who makes 11 cents on the dollar right now. Is the NBA doing this correctly, Scott, in your opinion? You, you, you've been doing this now for 15 years. You've kind of seen how the sausage is made with all these sports. I tend to marvel at how the NBA has been able to keep this thing together and even expand it. And look, they had this dead wrong two CBAs ago. This got fixed pretty quickly in 2017. And, and they're going to tweak this again to some degree over the next 18 months or so. But is this the best way to handle superstars within a sport? My short answer is no. And we've gone down this, this road of, you know, brainstorming. Do you give uh, a, a legacy contract to a player that you retain, a Steph Curry? Does his does his contract? Yeah, you can pay him that amount of money, but does it from a tax or cap purposes? Does he let only me push count back before you go to the tax? Because or... I'm going to go to the tax next. Let me push back on Steph Curry because obviously the Warriors are a big conversation here with their tax situation. It, if the 35 percent rule didn't exist and there wasn't this ceiling sitting out there that everybody knows about and everybody can talk about, we can mathematically say this is exactly what Steph Curry's contract will be in 2024. If the cap is X, there's it's simple math. It's formulaic. If that didn't exist and, and Steph Curry was Justin Herbert, you understand what I'm saying? And he was staring down his next contract, or if he was Lamar Jackson, somebody we'll get to in a second here, there would be this back and forth between Bob Myers and Steph Curry, right? And Bob yes. Myers would be would be looking to Steph Curry and saying, Look at you're a guy. You know, we've we, we've been promoting the hell out of you for almost two decades now, but we need you to come down. We need you to give us the Tom Brady discount. There's just no doing that in the NBA right now. Nobody's no. doing that outside of Tim Duncan forever ago, you know? 
And yes, there's some guys and who have quote taken... unquote James Harden. No, I this was year. just about to throw that in. Let, let's <laughs> not even go there. Come on, James Harden was garbage. That's why his contract is what it is. Right. But there would be contentious back and forth between the best players in the league and their respective GMs. That doesn't exist right now. And maybe it happens for a minute. You know, maybe, maybe Rob Polinka went to LeBron and said, "Hey, can you help us out here? You know, you're a billionaire. You're a freaking billionaire. Can you can you just?" shave five or six million off the next couple of seasons and, and let us get there. And maybe LeBron closed the door and left on his way out. And I, I don't blame them. I am pro player in this because there is a formula. Why would they break that formula? The second one player does it, everybody's going to be expected to do it. That's literally what Tom Brady has done for 20 years. Every single contract is signed is up, oh, but he didn't go Tom Brady's route. No NBA player wants to be that person. So I get it. But it's also made for such a nice relationship between players and their front offices. It's Kevin Durant aside. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I do. I, there's almost no way around it. Like, nobody's not going to take that max if it's offered to them. And, and GMs simply don't have a choice right now. If they're a superstar player and they're one of 12 on the roster and they get to the point where a max is available, you just have to do that. It's a give and take. And why would we take that situ- situation away from the league? No other, no other league has this. Every other mm-hmm. league has to go back and forth and make and basically publicly fight and, and negotiate with their, with their clients and their players to the point of where we end up hating one side. You know, it becomes a Twitter battle. And we doesn't see it in the NBA. We don't see it. We don't have to see it because there's this wink, wink agreement and math is the reason for it. So while I think, the, while I think the numbers are stupid... And there may be a breaking point at some point. Just taking the negotiation process out of it makes us like these players so much more. Right. And from, like you said, the formulaic standpoint, we know what they're going to get. Right. We, we, we can project we can go along for ex- the ride. That's I right. I mean, Keith has been pumping out these next contract series because he can formulaically know what you know the latest one was Jalen Brown he knows exactly based off of the math what Jalen Brown could get from the Celtics or another team already based off of cap projections and everything like that so it's kind of a double-edged sword you've got these rules in place but if you keep following the projection of the cap going up Mm -hmm. there is going to be potentially a breaking point but if you opened it up then you would lose that that uh, to a certain extent, the, the the market value of knowing, you know, Joe Schmo that just follows the NBA could, you know, can understand what eight percent of a salary is or anything like that. It, it's easy to follow yeah. that. It, it's either going up by a certain amount or going down by a certain amount, and it's not one year it's super high and one year it's super low like it is in, in the NFL. So it's it's a little more cut and dry. But it allows the conversation of the contracts to be at the forefront easier for fans and easier for media because the numbers are out there. We knew LeBron James's extension was going to be a, a one year of this, a two year 97, a three year of this. So, you know, it's just is he going to take it or not? But again, is there going to be that breaking point of if they continue down this track, are we going to be dealing with? 75 80 million dollars and then we're we're pigeonholed into a system that is not going to work. Well, I guess I guess we shouldn't project that it's not going to work. 
I just no. I'm not saying it's. Not I think going what it's going to do, and we've talked about it. I think it's just going to slow things down. It's going to slow the business down. You're just not going to have people traded as much, you know. Well, and I wonder if it does force a reset at some point. Teams are going to, you know, right now, the the conversation is always, oh, this is the max. This is what, this is what mm-hmm. the highest that this player can get, and we just all assume that's what the player is going to get. 99% going, of the time it happens. Yeah. And 99% of the time it happens from a team side. We're going to need one or two teams to be come to the forefront and say, no, we know your max is this. Yeah. We're not going to give you that max because it will hurt us financially, long-term, whatever it might be. That's what's going to have to happen. And we sort of saw that as a reset in Major League Baseball a few years ago when, mm-hmm. quote unquote, collusion of we're not going to pay these players anymore. It might have to get to that point where in the NBA, I agree yes, with this. Your maximum, your maximum is that we could give you that. But for us to sustainably move forward, we can only offer you this take it or leave it. And if it's a, if it's a, leave it and they move on, then, you know, maybe there's a sign and trade because they're a free agent in the upcoming year and they can go that route or they move them at the trade deadline because they realize, well, we've offered them this extension. We just, we have to move on and reset. Do do you think the NBA wants dynasties? Because everything we're talking about here is, is slowing the ability for teams to stay together. Correct. And the current landscape of the game is uh, I, I, there's two. Let's look at the Lakers and let's look at the Warriors. The Lakers tried LeBron's old school approach or the old Boston approach, right? We're just going to bring three veteran monsters together with already high paid salaries. And we're going to try to make this thing work. And the result is nine guys on minimum salaries around them who couldn't hold up their end of the game. And that's not going to change, you know? Because if the three best players in your team are making the max, well, do the math. That's going to be probably over 100% of the salary cap, which means you're probably already 20, 10 to 15% into the tax with just three players. That's just the math. That's how the math works. You know, 30%, 30%, 35%. That's three, you know, six to 10 year vets in the league, superstars. So <laughs> I. That obviously didn't work, and I'm not sure that can work. I'm not sure the big three system can work right now in the climate of $55 million max salaries, which is where we're headed here in 18 months. So then what you're saying is correct. Let's talk about it from a tax perspective then. Golden State has kept this thing together, but they've paid dearly for it. What was it, $170 million this year, Scott, in just bill? 300 million plus yeah. in total bill plus well, salaries, right? Yeah, well, yeah, one, 175 million. Okay. Was, or sorry, 170 million was their tax bill. They were over their tax by 39 million. So, so, so why are they being shot in the foot here? Why is what they're doing so, so hard financially to keep together? What, why, is, why would any sport want to stop this from happening? Correct. They've and, yes, and, they've added pieces. Andrew Wiggins was an expensive ad via trade, and, and and so forth. But Jordan Poole was drafted. Wiseman was drafted. Kaminga was drafted. For the most part, they have kept 
drafted players on high salaries in-house and continued that process with new drafted players. They've only added, you know, obviously Durant was in there. Obviously, uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell was thrown in there a little bit. They've made a move or two here and there. But they're not ripping it up and bringing in new superstars every year like the Lakers have done or like some of these other franchises have done. They've literally tried to keep themselves together. And the financials and the math of this league say, okay, you can continue to do that, but it's going to cost you. Why? Why? That seems so back-assward to me. Yeah, which is why I say in iterations of CBAs coming up, perhaps there's going to be that conversation of if you retain your your drafted players, their entire career, there's some incentive of, you know, you only count 50% or 25% or whatever it might be, or you can pick from a one tax contract from a tax perspective, yeah. one, one contract that doesn't count at all, whatever it might be, whatever the negotiation might be from that tax standpoint. Now, going back to your original question, does the league want dynasties? I don't know how they can say yes. Yeah. How can they say but, yes? But, but I, I'm going to say, yes, they want dynasties from the standpoint of when you think of the NBA, what do you think of? You think of the Boston Celtics dynasties, the, the Lakers dynasties, the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan dynasty. You think of those immediately. And whereas a team that's here and there, you may not think of them as fast as the dynasties that of the past. So if, the Golden State Warriors can continue down this path and having to pay. Yeah, we're going to remember what's the Golden more, State Warriors. What's more important to the league, Scott? Cleveland, the Cleveland Cavaliers or LeBron James? Mm, <laughs> Probably. Oh, that's tough. LeBron Probably James' LeBron. legacy means everything to the league. It, it does. And that's why Kevin Durant can do what he's doing right now. But, but, on the flip side, they care about the Cleveland Cavaliers or Oklahoma City yeah. because if you, from a financial valuation standpoint, if you rise your lowest valuations, then it makes it better for the top. Now, when you said Golden State, you know all of the luxury tax payments that get paid and then they get sliced up and given to the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good for the team, not necessarily the other teams. Not good for the taxpaying teams. But the LeBron legacy is important to the NBA because he is the face and having him at the forefront, mm -hmm. you know, people around the globe are going to know his face. You probably, if you went up to someone in Europe, they were, they probably know LeBron versus someone that's on the Cleveland Cavaliers. So yes, from that standpoint, the legacy of LeBron or the dynasty of LeBron, because he, I, let's face it. He was in the NBA finals for what? Eight years in a row. Yeah. So you could call LeBron himself a dynasty, which is good for the NBA because it's the face of bingo. The NBA. Bingo. And that dynasty moving around from the Northeast to the Southeast to the West coast. It's just incredible for those TV, that TV money. It's been incredible. There's no question about it. <laughs> right. And Durant doing the the same thing from the Midwest to the North, to the to the Western Conference, down to the into the Northeast, he has trans. You know, he has taken himself from the West to the East considerably, and that's just good for the game. That's good for the business of the game. I don't think the league gives a rat's behind if if one team is good for ten years or not. I just don't. 
Now, you know, if it's the Lakers or the Celtics or some of these, these forever six teams, sure, they got to be comp- competitive every year. But all right, one last thing. Actually, two more things on the NBA. It's, it's a big NBA show. I didn't realize we we're going to go this deep. The Jalen Brown stuff has to be resolved. Can you explain what's happening with Jalen Brown and how this is going to get fixed in the next CBA? So they could extend him, but he can make more by not getting extended. Right. Austin has thrown him into So his his second contract was not a max. He he took a discount. No, it was not. Right. And it that's the not. problem here. Right. So he took a discount, and rightfully so, he wasn't yet that player. Off off of his rookie contract, he took a less than max contract, which puts which puts him in a position to not be able to fully max out on this next contract. Correct. He, he can only make what 120% or so of his of his current salary, which uh, yep. is, a, is a much lower starting point than it would be if he were without a contract, starting fresh and becoming a 30% of the cap. Correct? Correct. Okay. This has to get resolved. Again, this is a team trying to keep their, their own player. They worked out a less than maximum contract. That player has now outperformed that less than maximum contract, and the team can't give him what he is worth. It's ridiculous. Yep. It's an absolute flaw in the system because this is how it should work. This is what should be promoted. Now, you want teams going all in on tax, then this rule ex- exists and stays the same. But if you're, trying, only- if, you're trying to be, if you're trying to be pro-team and allow teams to, man- to manage their cap properly, and not be forced into overpaying a player that doesn't deserve it, which is what they would have had to do in maxing Jalen Brown back in the day, then you've got to fix this. Because what Boston did with Jalen Brown in the last contract and now in this contract is exactly how this should work. It's how every other sport works. They pay a player what he's worth, and eventually that's going to be more if he turns into a better player, which he has. Yeah. Sorry, last point. The, the problem isn't that they're not going to be able to pay him what he's worth. They're going to. If they want to keep him when his contract expires. It's the timing. Can, right. But the problem is he's going to have to get to free agency to do this. Every other team's going to have a chance to sign Jalen Brown to that maximum contract. Now, four years, not five, blah, blah, blah. But it shouldn't, it shouldn't be allowed to get to that point. They should be able to do it right now if they want to say, all right, we're going to build in the rider. We're going to sign, lock you in for the next four years tacked on to two, so six total, whatever it's going to be. And we're building in the riders to, to that. It will jump up to 30% of wherever the cap is at that point. We can go from there. They can't physically do that. He has to become an expiring contract for them to do that, correct? Unless they make him a designated veteran ex- extension, uh-huh. but that would require them to make him a designated piece. Which has its which own is- restrictions as we're finding with the Ben Simmons situation. Right. So that that's where the, the catch is. It's either you extend now and you get 120% or we make you the designated. You can go five years, yep. but you got to have the triggers in there to get up to that. You know, if you want to make that jump, but well, if you're retaining your own and you drafted them and they haven't left your team ever, the 120% rule should just not count regardless of it's a piggyback off this dynasty situation why are you stopping teams from keeping good players i hate it (laughs) right and and again that's why i say back to the player empowerment situation and now this conversation 
there's going to be some changes because of what we're seeing, you know, teams that are able to want to retain their own player and pay them, but they don't want to have to Mm -hmm. necessarily deal with that tax implication, depending on what market you're in. Like imagine if Oklahoma city did retain Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and James Harden and ended up having to pay all those guys. They, that that's not a team that can sustain a, a tax bill. Now, the Golden State being over in the West Coast in California, you've got Brooklyn and Philly on the East Coast, Boston. Those are teams in big markets that can sustain that, uh, you know, that amount of money for a short time, maybe a long term, depending on, you know, situations. Mm-hmm. But you're right. There is going to have to be a give and take of the league def- depending on – or a league looking at themselves and saying, do we want teams to be able to literally retain these players that they're drafting? Because that's what our emphasis was on It should the be draft. emphasis number one. There's already enough trading and manipulating and things like that happening, in my opinion. And the league should be happy with that. And I, and I don't want to deflate that too much, as I mentioned in the opening. But it should be a primary focus of this league to keep te- teams intact. And then whatever happens after that, let it happen. Which good for business. Which goes back to your dynasty question right. of is dynasty good? Yes, it is good because those are the teams, whether you like it or not. No. We we hated the New England Patriots and we're Bills fans. We hated the New England Patriots, but everyone else hates the New England Patriots with Tom Brady because they just kept winning every year, year after year. But it's good because people will watch because they want them to win. But lose. also, Scott, we're talking Warriors and Celtics and Lakers and all these monster teams. This is uber important for Memphis, for New Orleans, for teams that are not at the top of this fray, you know, with all the money, with the major owners, with the huge markets. Memphis needs to be able to keep itself together and shouldn't be stifled by the CBA in doing Correct. that. It and they will be. be right now. They will be stifled because they will be constantly the, the conversation from the contender saying, when are, when are, are we going to be able to get that guy from them? Because they're not going to be able to keep him long term. Giannis was a one-off. Giannis probably shouldn't have stayed knowing how this league operates. The fact that he did is amazing and I'm happy for it. But guess what? I bet you that's not forever either, right? He's already talking bulls for Christ's sakes. You're right. You're right with Memphis because of all those young kids, they're going to have to pay them. They already are doing jaw, which which will kick in next year. But there's a handful of those young kids that are going to want to get paid. And But at some point, that Memphis team is going to look like the Warriors team. And they're going to start being negated from a tax perspective for keeping yep. that band together. And that's wrong, in my opinion. You did it all is. the work to make the right draft picks. You're willing to pay them, but you're going to get, you know, built tax build up the wazoo because you have, because you've done it, because you've done everything right. It's wrong. It's, it's a backwards approach. Just so we can have the numbers out there, Keith Smith uh, did a great piece for us on Jalen Brown. If he extends right now, it's 119 million. If he extends next offseason, it's 165 million. If he waits till that contract expires, it's a minimum of $248 million over five years, with the designated contract being $290 over five years. So we're talking about a difference between $119 and potentially $290 over the next two seasons, based on what Jalen Brown wants to do with the, uh, the Boston Celtics. That's the, how big the difference is. That's right. why this is a problem, because Boston probably wants to keep him, and everybody in the room knows that it's, he's just never going to sign that contract right now. So he's... he's, he's by default, becoming a trade option. 
Um, last thing on the NBA before we move on to some more different sports. There's big talk about expansion, and rightfully so, because all this money is real, and adding more teams just means more money in the pool. And maybe some smaller player salaries, which actually would be okay, right? If you have to add 24 more players to the league because there's two more teams, that's probably a good thing in the, in the, you know, the formula. Do we have a problem with the way that the conferences and the divisions are aligned right now? Because I actually think that expansion can improve a bigger conversation here. We talked a lot about playing time issues. Players sitting out, the COVID stuff was brutal, that timeline. You and I have been to a conference a bunch of years ago that talked about the, the, how, how much the travel takes a toll on these players, the sleep part of it, obviously the recovery from injuries and, and that stuff. It's all a big part of this league because it's a very physical league, as many are finding out. If we added Vegas and Seattle, which I believe are the two primary targets for expansion here, Las Vegas and Seattle. Wouldn't we be helping a lot in that Northwest? I, I guess I never, realized, I never realized this, but I started to look at the standings and I, I actually mapped out the, the league a little bit not too long ago. Portland is kind of on an island. <laughs> they are. Once they Vancouver really are. left, Portland is just this city sitting up there and they have to travel constantly, whether it's in their division, in their conference, obviously. So adding Seattle and then Vegas, which isn't too far away, and then realigning these divisions, you'd have 32 teams, essentially. So we could now have 32 teams, 16 per conference, and then you could just do two eight-team divisions in each of those conferences. You could have your LAs, your Portland, and Seattle, and a Vegas, maybe a Utah, right? There's no way Minnesota should be <laughs> in the Northwest Conference. No. That's got to stop. But you'd fix a hell of a lot of things, and one of them would be the daily grinds of the schedule. The divisional schedules could be a lot less intense, which I think would benefit the players. It would help everybody in the long run. Certainly, it'd help your TV market so that Minnesota is not in the Western, you know, in the Pacific time zone for all of their games or the majority of their games. So I, I actually think there's a lot more benefits, not just the financials, to expanding this league. What do you think about this? Yeah. Makes complete sense. Are You're you for the the bigger divisions, the bigger conferences? I am. Are, are, do you want to take I, divisions completely out of this conversation? I, I, I'm bigger for just give me two conferences. Okay. In the NBA, the divisions used to matter where you win your division you're in. Now it doesn't even matter. It's top eight and you got your play in now. So why do divisions even matter more from a scheduling standpoint? Because that's the old school mindset. But at least the Major League Baseball stepped forward and said, we're done with you know, we're, yeah. we're reducing the amount of games and divisions. We're just going to play everybody. I, I feel like if it's not happening in the NBA, it should happen and just go conferences. I mean, there's no point in having divisions if it doesn't mean anything from you win your division and you're in like in the NFL or, you know, anything like that. Adding two more would absolutely help on that West Coast so that, like you said, Portland doesn't have to travel as much. Um, they would still have to, all those teams are still going to have to travel a lot, but it would be reduced from the amount that they are already, but it adds 15 more jobs. So yeah, times two. your, your superstars may spread out a little bit more. You may add some players from the G league that, you know, they're on the fringe. Uh, but I, I think in an overall standpoint, you know, from a financial or logistical 
yeah, it makes complete sense. And I'm sure we're going to hear about this in the next couple of years. I mean, Keith did a piece for us a while ago about expansion. And I mm-hmm. think it's getting ramped up more as LeBron nears the end. Yes, he did his extension, but it's it's been, it's came up more and more that. So let me throw the get up pull at you. Here's the get up pull, right? In three years, is it more likely that LeBron James is playing for the Lakers, playing for another team with his son, or a minority owner of the Vegas team? Three years. Three years. Mm. My assumption is that he's going to play out this year, play out next year, opt in on his player option with the Lakers, and finish off his career right there. I'm going to say three years. That's tough. Mm. You think there's a good chance he's still playing? I, I, I'm going to say he's not an owner of Vegas. I, I think it's going to come, but I don't think three years is – I think the, the franchises, if I had to guess, is going to come four or five years out. So I'll say really? – He's playing, and this is just me speculation. You yeah. know, it you, takes, you don't think it would it, align with the new CBA a little bit more, Scott? It could. Yeah, it, it definitely could. But you have to think of the the leeway time of forming bids, um, well, putting all the logistics together, getting a, getting an arena. Don't you getting, think Vegas is already ready though? They, they I think <laughs> Vegas is already ready. Seattle. <laughs> You could probably throw them in where the Kraken are playing for yeah. the time being, unless they wanted their own. So, some from those logistics, yeah, I, I I could see that. Three, I think, is probably pushing it. I think maybe three to five, but I'll say if I had to say where I think he'll be, he'll be. Can I throw another wrinkle into this? He'll be on the Lakers and. Oh, his son will be on the Lakers because what? he's not the Lakers G League team. You mean? <laughs> Come on! What? No one knows if he can play. Yeah. So I if know. he can't play, is a team even going to want to draft him, hoping that LeBron may come? Yeah. Forty-year-old LeBron, LeBron. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and is he going to take that discount? You know, people have are already speculating: is he going to play for a minimum or not, or a, a mid-level at that point? So. You know, so can I throw three, another wrinkle into this, Scott? Yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, I don't, I don't really see a direct tie to Vegas with LeBron outside of, I don't know. It's, it's good business, and LeBron loves good business. He's got his hand in so many pots right now. But he's already been attached to that, as you kind of preluded there. It, it, he's, he's at least interested. He said that, that out loud enough. So let's just say that happens. And let's say it is five years, because you're, you're probably right. I'm probably being aggressive here. There's another player right now who has tried to model his game like LeBron, who is just as savvy in the business world and probably will be approaching that $1 billion mark himself, who has a pretty good tie to Seattle because he started there. Is it possible that LeBron James is attached to Vegas and Kevin Durant is attached Mm -hmm. to Seattle in five years? Why the hell not, right? Absolutely. I mean, why the hell not? Yeah. I, I can't balk at that at all. 
Makes sense. All right, let's finish right there. Let's move over to golf. Yeah. I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit. You followed this quite a bit. Um, you know, it's not even about the live stuff right now, but more how the PGA appears to be responding. You know, the, people made fun of the Tiger Woods flying in and trying to be the savior and the hero, but I think you have some substance with this. Where, where do you think this is headed with the PGA over the next couple of months? Because once the FedEx championship is handed out and somebody wins 15 million, it better be Scotty Scheffler based on how these rules work. Um, it's going to be just a, an absolute death fight for how these majors are going to operate, how the PGA schedule is going to work. Are they going to make drastic changes to try to rec- recoup some of these players? Will there be official bans? Blah, blah, blah. It's going to be a nightmare from a PR standpoint, unless they figure something out right now. Do you believe that Tiger Woods is actively part of this process right now and that they're going to have like a September 1st announcement saying this is how it's going to work? He is, in my mind, based on reading the tea leaves, 100% full out ambassadorship of yeah. PGA right now from all angles, whether you look at the the meeting that he had last week with the players um, in, in front of, from what I've read, I think there were, you know, 22 players of notable names in there and it was not old players. It was the younger crowd. I mean, I think the average age was somewhere around 25, 26 years of age for who he was speaking to. So he, it's not like he's talking to the old guard. He's talking to the new guard coming in. And the conversation that I had posed to you was, if you, if you follow and connect the dots, Tiger declined the live, which was somewhere between reported $700 million to $800 million. Yeah. He all of a sudden decides to step up last week and want to talk to players about the future and the future of the game and what they can do to make sure that the young crowd is staying with the PGA and not going to live. Then, if you were on Twitter, it was all over the place. Tiger Woods is on the cover of 2K23 with the news, the cover. He's adding, you know, there's a, a Michael Jordan in there. Which is but, PGA branded. I mean, that's... Which is, is PGA branded. Right. So where I went with this was, if you're following these, these tea leaves and connecting the dots with everything, he has way more at stake with staying with the PGA because he is, mm-hmm. like we just talked about, a dynasty in the NBA. He's a dynasty of PGA. He is the face of PGA. So he probably makes more than that 700 to 800 million dollars. Oh, no so why would he jump ship, especially knowing that he was part of this game? Because if he jumped and went to live, that would nix everything that went into building that game that's coming out. And if the young players that you know fans are going to gravitate towards he doesn't want them to go to live because he's not going to put live inside of his golf game so he wants to make sure the players of the future are with live that his game which promotes pga and he is the forefront he's going to do everything in in his possibilities that are out there make sure that it flourishes so you're not saying he's going to become the next commissioner of the pga no, I think he 
I'm not saying, well, yes, I'm saying me personally does not think he will be the next commissioner because he is sort of Peyton Manning-esque where he can do a lot more and not have to deal with the day-to-day grind of a commissionership. He can be the ambassador. He can talk to the golfers. He can Mm -hmm. do all of his other extras with Nike, with the video games, with whatever else is out there to promote his name, image, likeness from a professional sense and not have to deal with the day-to-day. He could still go in and be the ambassador and have say, and this is where we need to go. These We need to increase our purses on these majors, our, on these tournaments. We need to make sure we have at least you know, three to five of the notable names in the top of our of PGA right now at every tournament instead of one or two at certain tournaments. We need to promote every single tournament all the time and make sure we have golfers that fans want to go and see instead of having a really watered down field on certain okay. tournaments. You're starting to get to where I wanted to want to end this conversation with, which is my pushback to you. And it's been said quite a bit here over the past week or so is why is Matthew Wolf? Why is Will Zalatoris? Why would they sit in a room with Tiger Woods and listen to him talk about how much money he made? You know what I mean? Like he's such an anomaly. He's such a one-off in this conversation. Anybody who had, who's a, you know, a twice over billionaire based on Tiger's entire resume can stand in front of a room and say, look, it's pretty easy to make money in this game, but it's not easy to make money in this game. No, it's not. What I need to be hearing, and I assume this is what's happening, but again, it's just an assumption. I don't need to be hearing, look at me, I'm an example of how we can make money. I need to be hearing Tiger say, this is how I made money. This is why every time I won tournament X, I shook hands with this guy and this person and this woman. And those things have to be done all winter long now. Because what you're getting to is bigger pots, whatever. And a, and a more roundabout game, but obviously the money has to be at the forefront. We, they, need, they need a campaign. <laughs> they, they need a political campaign for this sport, which brings in massive corporate sponsors who are not afraid to go out on a limb and say, we are with the PGA because they're not the live. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. They need to go negative. Instead of just saying, we're the PGA, we're great, we're, we're, we're 200 years of history, and trying to live off of that history, they need to put out a direct campaign that says, we're going bigger with FedEx, we're going bigger with BMW, we're going bigger with massive, massive companies, and they're agreeing to hand us twice as much money in order to stay relevant and at the top of our sport because we have the courses, we have the golfers, and we have what they'll never have. They need to go negative. They need to turn this back on live and force them to be an actual league and not just a pile of money with a couple of golfers on a course. You know what I'm saying? They need to have structure and add to that structure. 100%. And you hit the nail on the head with the, the sponsorships because with live, I believe the golfers in live have to wear live golf. Can't even have another logo. Right. In the PGA, you don't have to wear a PGA on it. It's Titleist, it's Nike, it's Adidas, it's whatever. You're right. They have to use the sponsorships to their advantage. Now, it sounds like they're going to reduce their schedule. 
and make it actual calendar schedule starting in January. Right. So that's going to help because maybe that will make less tournaments and have more players wanting to play those tournaments. But you're right. The sponsorship, you have to go that route and promote that and have, you know, you have your BMW yeah. championship that we just had, the St. Jude's. You need to have those big names as your, your sponsors and you need to, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mentioned the name, image, and likeness. Tell you're talking to the players of this is how you make money. You know, I'm sure they they they're all contractors to a certain extent. Scott, would so, the team element help? It may. It wow. may help with a you know a. Uh, you know what I mean? Like like collaboration. We get, we get lucky enough sometimes to have an awesome foursome paired up on a Thursday or on a Saturday, and and it's what we talk about. But but if there was a team element. You know what I mean? Going into Thursday's match, and we knew that Zalatoris was with Rory, was with, you know, just big names, Morikawa. It's just how the team situation, I feel like that would help it because it is a very individual individual thing as you're talking about. But if you can start to put two two guys next to each other that are big, big names, and that's what's on your TV for for four straight days, that's that's got to be helping. The, the groupings have to be helping this process. Well, and, and I'll add on to that. What what if they and they can make it a TV event? Yeah, which would help. You know, what if what if the teams were literally teams for an entire season? Like you NASCAR. do a draft and yep. you have a four team or a five team. You draft them, and that is your team the entire year. I love it. Whereas live, they draft every week, so you never know who's together and who do you even care. But if you had Will Zalatoris and Scotty Scheffler and, and and uh, you know. Keegan Bradley, all these guys on the same team moving forward for the entire season. And then there was an extra payout on top of it. Then, yep. and you don't have to have stupid gimmicky names like Liv has. <laughs> it's, But it adds that extra element to, I like that team. I'm going to follow that team. Yeah. And then money on top of it, you're adding the extra money and it, Certainly, we have the FedEx Cup. Certainly, right, and you have the FedEx Cup for the individual, but then again, the sponsorship—it's the team, whatever the team cup that you win that. So, I think they could do a lot from a structure standpoint, and I'm interested to see moving forward if some of these uh, items come to fruition. I know a lot has been in the works, and from what I've heard and read. Their timeline has been expedited because of live. So, I also think this. I think players that have gone to live, I, the, obviously it's about the money, but most of those players, to some degree, aren't personalities. They've al- they already yep. were extra or introverts. Do you know what I mean? They weren't the players yep. trying to be in the spotlight in, in front of the microphone on the PGA tour. In fact, this is a great way for them to cash a pile of dough and hide and, and get away from the Americanized sport, which is, you know, post, post-match interviews and blah, blah, blah. And again, if I'm Tiger Woods, and he was never like this. He had plenty of attention without trying too hard. But Will Zillatoris, get on Instagram, get on TikTok, and promote the living hell out of yourself in a fun and healthy way. Go against what the live players go against what Dustin Johnson is going to do, which is play 54 holes of golf and hide away with a ton of money. That that is literally what he wants to do. Patrick Reed, the exact same thing. They want to go and play golf 
and hide away with their money. Be the exact opposite. Be charismatic, have personality, show off, promote your products, be social media people. Promote this product as an American sport, yeah. not as a pile of dirty money that we can just go and yeah. get and play play a little bit of golf. Yeah, 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 you're right. Show the emotion because right. what do we know about Tiger? The emotion yeah. of sinking a putt and fist pumping and that's what we know. But we got to be careful, right? Because again, Tiger just Tiger did that because of golf, and we cared so much because he was so much damn better at golf than anybody else we've ever seen. Correct. And You're that's, right. That's not going to be Matthew Wolf. But, you know what I mean? Matthew Wolf's going to have to generate that kind of power. But let me add this because Netflix has PGA oh, series it. like like uh, the Drive to Survive for F1. So that's going to open up those personalities and people are going to gravitate towards those personalities and want to follow them even more. So bingo. I that mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about here. That kind of person, you know, the charisma. Now let's hope it's not all about Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson, which it very well could be, but um, we'll see how that goes. I, th- I think there's a real chance here. And I think a lot of people are laughing off the Tiger stuff. And I agree with you that I think it's got, a real chance to work. And I think the Peyton Manning stuff is a very, very good connection because Peyton has been very, very careful about where he's interjected himself post NFL playing career. And his calculations have been outstanding. And by the way, part of that has been this creative broadcasting, you know, the Manning cast, yes. which is now the yep. Gronk cast, which is the, what the, the K rod cast for major league baseball. That's all under Peyton Manning's production company, as I'm sure, you know, and now he's, Connecting the dots with Pat McAfee, another ma- massively charismatic player in this Correct. game. If Tiger Woods can can interject himself in that regard, because hey, Nick Nick uh, Nick Faldo is leaving the broadcast booth. David Faraday has already gone to live. If you can bring some element to the broadcast, to again bring the personality, bring the charisma to the game without making it a circus. I'm not saying go out there and you know put Rob Gronkowski out there on the ninth hole even though sometimes we enjoy Charles Barkley in that regard. But if, if they can elevate that part of the game as well to generate more interest and maybe even some younger viewers, that's got to be a part of this conversation right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a tournament out in Arizona, oh, yeah. WM Management, where they're throwing beers and it's like a, a party. Yeah. It, 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 well, for it's the- sponsored by the garbage company. I mean, what do you want? <laughs> right. No, but I'm saying those are the kinds of things that fans want to go and, and experience. No question. And, and that's what has to happen with golf. And if that personality situation that we're talking about and, you know, promoting themselves and if that's what Tiger is talking to these guys about and saying this, this is better if you stay yeah. here because of X, Y, and Z, then I'm 100 for And it. by the way, you, you forgot a big part of the, uh, the PGA 2K23 game, that, a big addition. Michael Jordan's in the game. Right. Michael Jordan's in the game as a player that you can unlock along with Tiger Woods. And uh, that's not an accident. Not just because Michael Jordan's rich, but this is about showing off a little bit is what this is. That look, we got these two guys. These two guys can make Greg Norman look like an ant (laughs) on a mountain if they want to. And they will. And don't you think that those two guys together could become ambassadors for this PGA sport? I do. I think that's exactly that's exactly oh, yeah. the mic that has been dropped with that video game release. Yeah, is. there's no, yeah, because Michael Jordan being in NASCAR, he's going outside Bingo. of his realm, Bingo. and the fact that Tiger Woods used Michael Jordan as the unlock mode yeah. 
instead of a Jack Nicholas or, you know, exactly. some former golfer that people it's about that follow the NBA, right. The people that follow the NBA are going to go buy this game because they want to play as Michael Jordan on a golf course. It's good stuff, man. We'll, uh, we'll do this again. We've got some NFL ideas, certainly some baseball stuff, even after this latest CBA, but, uh, this is always fun to get down to and just brainstorm a little bit out loud. So I appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one. All right. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off that first year subscription for Scott Allen. My name is Mike Thanks for listening to this edition of this podcast.